Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me. Very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a designer from the Bay Area, and my favorite book growing up was Goodnight Moon. Oh, I should introduce the, the, the oh, question. question. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> or I can just be the guy who wants to talk about Goodnight Moon. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, cool, Lucas. <laughs> How funny would that be if none of us brought up our books and just <laughs> we left Lucas just yeah. And by the way, I love Goodnight Moon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome to Feeling It. We are very excited this morning. Uh, as always, we're going to start by telling you what we're feeling this week. And then we're going to try something kind of different from what we've done in previous shows. We're going to have a, a bit of a meta-level discussion about pop culture, talking specifically about the experience of taking in pop culture around the question of what conditions or circumstances have the potential to ruin your experience of any piece of pop culture. Uh, but before we begin, let's introduce ourselves and let's answer the question. You know, this week, my sister-in-law just gave birth to a brand new baby girl. And so let's answer the question. What's your favorite? Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. Uh, so let's go around. Let's answer the question. What was your favorite picture book growing up? Lucas, you start. I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a designer in the Bay Area. And my favorite book growing up was Goodnight Moon. Classic. What about you, Lawson? I'm Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite book growing up was Is Your Mama a Llama? <laughs> that's a real book i loved it so much i'm sandra Amstutz. i'm a social media manager also in nashville tennessee and my favorite book was the monster at the end of this book starring lovable furry old grover and nice and my name is brent bailey i work in tech in chicago and i write about faith and film on a few different places online and when i was growing up one of my favorite picture books was are you my mother nice which kind of looks like a Dr. Seuss book in the art style, but is not a Dr. Seuss book. So don't be fooled. It's a knockoff Dr. Seuss book. It is. <laughs> Brent, we both grew up with mother query books. We did. <laughs> There's so much about us and our pop culture choices. <laughs> <laughs> Just look for the golden thread of that weaved in through our conversation. Yes. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into one of our favorite segments, what we are feeling this week. Uh, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? Yes, I am feeling the band Irato. I actually have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. It's spelled E-R-A-T-O. You say Irato, I say Irato. Irato. <laughs> is it is it Irato? Is it a, What is it? No, that was a tomato tomato joke that I had like. He couldn't. No, I couldn't let it couldn't go. Let it go. He was dying over here. I'm a terrible person. Continue. I'm excited to hear about them. No, I love Swedish not, bands. N- n- you don't get it anymore. Lost it <laughs> off. <laughs> I'll leave. This is for everyone else now. <laughs> anyway, um, Arado, Arado, however you want to say it. <laughs> um, it's a yeah, it's a Swedish musical group. Um, that's it's it's basically two girls who are fantastic at harmonizing. Um, most of their music has a little bit of like guitar and everything like that but it's mostly just focusing on their vocals um i think in 2011 they did a, a youtube cover of call your girlfriend by robin um where they're playing with with cups or whatever has anybody anybody that heard was that? them yes that was them oh my gosh um, yes yeah i know right um so that's that that's kind of their their claim to fame but um recently they just came out with um a cover of adele's hello and like I said, it's just basically acoustic guitar and them harmonizing, and it's fantastic. When we were younger and free, I've forgotten how it felt before the world fell at our feet. There's such a difference between the two. Thing that I've done, but when I call, you never 
Those melodies are beautiful. I remember uh, hearing that cover of Robin's Call Your Girlfriend for the first time, yeah. and I just listened to that version instead for weeks. That was, I mean, the year that Call Your Girlfriend came out, was that was like the year of that song for me. That's all I listened yeah. to. Yeah. But um, yeah, that cover is incredible, and this sounds really good too. That's I'm glad they're coming out with a whole album. These Swedes, I know. they know how to make their pop music. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I think they actually, they did vocals on all of one of Passion Pit's albums. What? Um, I forget which one, but they did, yeah. Phoenix? Uh, Gossamer. Nice. Yeah. What a fitting title for their sound. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have the title until they hired them to do the vocals, and they're like, you know what? (laughs) Right. Here's what we should call it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But yeah, so they, they they have one album called Pictures of Pets right now. Um, that's, that's really good. Check it out. It's on Spotify and all streaming services. Uh, but I'm, I'm assuming with their, their new single coming out that they're working toward another album. So I'm excited. (laughs) Okay. So I want everyone to know that with my full heart, I have not seen this written anywhere. It feels like it must be written everywhere, but I have not seen it. And so I feel like I'm coining it when I say that, um, this period of time feels like album dropopolis like they're just <laughs> i'm so overwhelmed by music right now and it is definitely what i'm feeling um y'all it has been <laughs> it's been three weeks since beyonce's lemonade came out which to me is insane like i'm still chewing on that like i'm gonna need so much time to process through lemonade and in that time drake has released views james blake has released the cover the color in anything Radiohead has released Moonshaped Pool, and Chance the Rapper just dropped Coloring Book. These are like some of my favorite artists making music today, and they all released music in the past three weeks. And I, I don't know what to do because I feel like in the last part, I'm sure there's something I'm not thinking of, but it feels like in the last part of last year, there was no music coming out that I was interested in. And... It was just it. Now it feels like I have to gather all these nuts for the winter. Like I'm, all of the music is coming out at one time, and I don't know what to do. Like I can't listen to all the tracks at once. Like I've I've been listening to uh, CDs this week and feeling like I want to be listening to every track on it at one time because I don't have enough time to listen to all the music. So if I can just chill, I think it'll be a, a better experience. But, um. Have you guys felt that way, or is it just because I am particularly interested in the artists that have been dropping it? Because like there haven't even been really promotional things coming up to these; they've all just been popping up out of nowhere. I think that's part of what makes it feel so chaotic. Is a lot of these albums are coming as total surprises, and so whereas like you know we've already been talking about what are the major films that we want to see this summer, and we've kind of got a plan like laid out for here's when we're going to see this and here's when we're going to have this discussion. But with a lot of these albums, it's like you get just a few days warning or maybe a week's warning, or maybe you kind of have an idea that they're working on a project. And then all of a sudden it just kind of arrives. So I think that probably contributes to, yeah, I feel it feels the same way for me loss. And just like all of a sudden we've got this like total influx of music and like, where do I put it all? How do I chew on all of this? And what's even more frustrating to me is having to navigate these streaming wars. Like, Ugh, I'm so sick of it, and I know the dust will settle eventually, and we'll all be fine. But just like my title subscription that I got three months for free, whenever Beyonce released Formation, ran out yesterday, and my uh, I have Spotify Premium, and I don't want to use Apple Music because I only have three months of that, which I feel like I should save for a rainy day. And all of these different things are coming out ex- as exclusives to different areas, and I'm having to like wait until I can buy them or like. I mean, I've torrented an album to be able to listen to it so that I can put it onto my Spotify and then whenever it's available for sale, buying it afterwards. Like, it's been kind of a mess with that, which is, I don't know, like, maybe I should just be patient and then I would have more room in my life for these different albums. I do want to talk about, in particular, Chance the Rapper's new mixtape that he is an Apple Music exclusive for two weeks right now called Coloring Book. Um, And I I feel like such a dummy because I our first episode talked about Chance the Rapper without any real news. I was just like, he's great. And I just got into him. (laughs) But like now there's a new album that's I, it's in the running for like rap album of the year for me. It's, it's, I, you guys know how big of a fan of Kanye West I am. And I think this album is better than Kanye's like 
just barely, but I think it is. And um, it's just, it's amazing. Uh, every track is so good. And I, you know, the line in um, Ultralight Beam where he's like, make it so free in the bar so hard there ain't one gosh darn part you can't tweet. There are so many tweetable lines in this. Like he is, he was Babe Ruth pointing at the stands and then hitting a home run. Um, he's got, in all we got, there's this line about um, this girl that he's dating and he says that she's from Houston like Auntie Yonce. And I just, I like, yes, of course Beyonce is your musical aunt. Like, that's so great. So they're not actually related? No, they're not actually, that's racist. <laughs> they're not actually related. Um, is, he, wait, is he black? Yes, he's black. Chance the Rapper's black. <laughs> I don't know these things. Lucas doesn't hear color. <laughs> you don't hear color. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the songs on this album that's so good, and I... I promise not to go on too long about it but is uh this song called smoke break that's about working really hard at parenting like you can tell from all of the songs in this album especially and just everything he's doing right now that he is so in love with his daughter and he's so um dedicated to her and making sure that he's there for her all the time and kind of um making sure that he's not an absentee dad at any despite being on the road and all this stuff but it's this uh, song about working hard and giving your all to all to parenting, and then giving yourself a break. But that song in particular is like, you know what? We've been working really hard and we're doing all this stuff. Like, I'm going to make a bowl of cereal for our daughter. And then, you know what? We've had a long day. I'm going to make a bowl of pot for us to share. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. Like, if you're in California or Washington, that's not even a controversial statement. Like, it's completely legal and you can just take the time to relax at the end of the day. And I don't know. It was just very sweet the way he talked about it. And most of the time you hear rapping about smoking pot the last adjective you'd use to describe it is sweet but it felt very sweet and this album is like basically a gospel album like there's a straight up gospel song infused into the first two minutes of one of it and twitter's blowing up with everyone saying like how does chance make religion sound so amazing like people who are atheists and like different religions and everything like it sounds a lot of fun the way that he's talking about (laughs) it um and i just love that this guy's 23 again because so many of his references i get like he taught there's in how great which starts off as the gospel song how great thou art um how or no thou, how yeah great is god. how great is our god exactly right sorry about that um he goes into this line he's like i was lost in the jungle like simba after the death of mufasa like there's just i mean there's all of these references throughout peppered in that are just exactly the same age group of like childhood movies and everything that we had growing up which is just so weird and it so wonderful and fun and it just it feels overall like the album that Kanye said he was making like he was like it's going to be a gospel album but with swear words but it's all positivity cuz I'm all positivity and then his album was kind of a mess and had a lot of really dark stuff into it like honestly the thing on that album that stuck out to me was the most meaningful was the dark stuff and this one is just i mean it's all hope it's hope and joy. Um, it's not like disconnected from reality. It's still very grounded. He talks about, um, you know, in his song called Angels, he has this line, there's too many young angels on the South Side. Like he's talking about growing up on South Side Chicago and all these problems that are still there. But he's just like, I mean, he's tapped into something really awesome. And I, I'm i going to be listening to this album. I, I love the Radiohead album. I love the James Blake album. I, the Drake album's great. But this is the one that's going to be on repeat for me. I've pretty much put out, like, or put aside all new music in favor of just, like, just listening to Beyonce constantly. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of the first of all this, like, band of new releases that I was like, okay, I feel like I really should give at least a few tracks a listen. And yeah, what I heard was really, really exciting. 
Yeah, for sure. It's Lindsay's that same way. My wife's that same way. I'll be like, can we play a new chance? And she's like, no, we still need to only be playing Beyonce in the <laughs> yeah. house, which is fine. It's great. Well, Lawson, that's a fantastic choice. Thank you. All right, Sandra, what are you feeling this week? So this week I am feeling an app that Google has released. Google has released a keyboard app for iOS called Gboard. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about this because I... I consider myself like pretty techie when it comes to iPhone apps. I always love to try out new ones just to see what the buzz is, especially when it comes to keyboard apps. Um, you Typically, I have three different keyboards on my iPhone. I have the built-in iOS keyboard for typing text. I have the emoji keyboard, and then I have a GIF keyboard that I use. The Google Gboard app combines all three of those things into one keyboard. This is the first time I've ever disabled the built-in iOS keyboard, and I'm just using one keyboard. Me too. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. Um, they have a really beautifully designed just text tapping letters app, or excuse me, keyboard. Um, they also have swipe functionality built into their keyboard, which mm -hmm. is something that I was really into swiping on a keyboard back when I had an Android in college, and I got really good at it and really fast. Um, then I moved over to iOS and went back to tapping and just got very used to that. And when swiping became an option for iOS, I looked into going back to it, but it found I wasn't as comfortable with it anymore. But with this G Google app, um, I have the opportunity to do either. So I'm playing around with swiping again on a keyboard and seeing if I can pick up that speed. And if not, it's fine because the tapping works just as well. Um, like I said, it also has an emoji keyboard built in. One thing that is really exciting is that you can search for emojis. They have like a, they have a small search bar built in so that I don't have to swipe through a million pages looking for a bicycle emoji. I can just type bike into the search bar and it will give me all the emojis that have anything to do with a bicycle. Game changer. Yeah. So awesome. Um, again, like I said, it also has a GIF keyboard built in and because this is Google, the search is so good in this app. Um, when I'm searching for GIFs, I'm finding that I can find really very specific GIFs that I would have a harder time finding in other GIF apps because their search isn't as refined as Google's is. Totally. I would use, if I had something just for a general emotion, I would use GIF keyboard or Giphy or something like that. But if I wanted something really specific, I would always switch over to the Safari app type it in Google, go to images, and then scroll over to type, go to animated, then pick one, then save it, then post it into the thing. And now it's like two buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. The final functionality that's really exciting, and I think that if this app catches on, could be a real game changer for how we use our phones, is that they have, you can Google the web within your keyboard app. So there's a Google button so that if I want to search for what hours is my favorite coffee shop open? I can Google the name of that coffee shop and hours within my keyboard um, and it will pop up results for me to share immediately. So like, let's say if I'm in a text message app, I don't have to leave the text message app to go look up information to share with my friends. I can do it within that, where whatever app I'm using. Um, you can do it with right there on the keyboard. Um, I think that's really exciting because how often do we go to Google a piece of information or how to spell something if it's not auto-completing? Mm. Um, speaking of auto-completing, it has good auto-complete options like the built-in iOS keyboard does, and I would say even better than the iOS keyboard does. Um, so overall, I'm so excited to be using it. You know, there is a little bit of an adjustment period because your fingers get so used to the exact size and shape of the Apple keys that any slight difference will throw you off just a tiny bit. Um, but I think it's worth it because of how functional this keyboard app is. I got to say, this is making me feel a lot less insecure about the fact that I am the slowest uh, to the draw on GIFs in our group text. This, you know, this is like really <laughs> revealing, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you have been equipped. Got to step up your game yes. now. Um, I want to talk about the UI of it just for a second. I, I, I think it's really interesting how they've um, really conformed to iOS's UI. I know for, for all of Google's apps, they uh, 
pretty pretty much stick to their material design um, guidelines, um, even on the iOS apps. Right. And for this keyboard, it looks very iOS. I, just, I know they're still using the Roboto font, um, but it for the for the most part, they've tried to integrate it as as well as possible. I think that's really important that they did that because otherwise, yeah. I might not be as excited about using it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I know it, it, it is different from the iOS keyboard, but they've kept it close enough um, to where I'm willing to give it a try. And that's, I think that's, that's what it takes is yeah. getting people to start using it to realize how much they love it. Something as native as the keyboard, something that like we literally mm-hmm. use more than any other feature on our iPhones. Yeah, you have to be as close to like the original as possible for us to be comfortable using it. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's going to replace all your other keyboards, right. like we're saying. Yeah. This is going to seem tangential, but I promise it ties in. You know how you feel every single human emotion in its most potent form when listening to the Hamilton musical soundtrack? Yes. I like where you're going. Continue. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was listening to that the other day, and it was Lafayette and Hamilton were like high-fiving over like their love of democracy and like they're going for everything. And I just... It made me so sad that America and France aren't friends anymore. Like they united over <laughs> these ideals of democracy and they like exchanged the Statue of Liberty and they were super anti-England. And I feel like that's how Apple and Google used to be. <laughs> they were like <laughs> the America and France of tech up against like the IBMs of the world. And they were united over like the internet and the way it was going to transform everything and the way democracy was going to transform everything. Um, and I feel like this keyboard is kind of like a show of what could have happened a lot sooner on an apple keyboard if they had stayed friends mm-hmm. but like i'm really glad that this kind of thing is happening now because it really it has replaced my native keyboard and um uses a bunch of google's functionality and who knows maybe because they had competition that was part of the reason this came out the way it did but yeah i love having all three things like GIFs, emojis, and text in one place in a very well-designed user interface. Um, the only complaints I had about it, because I was like day one, like, yep, I'm ditching everything else. Um, if you have an iPhone 6S, there used to be this thing where you could force touch uh, on your uh-huh. keyboard, push down, and it would let you like move your cursor left and right. And this doesn't have that integrated into it. So that's kind of a bummer. And then it doesn't have uh, the little microphone button for text-to-speech. Um which I miss because sometimes, you know, you'll just send a voice text, but sometimes you want to tap on the microphone to be able to say what you're going to type. Um, so I wish that they would get rid of the little world icon there. Like they I should can't get, a, get rid of the world icon. Yeah, I understand, but it feels like I'm really dedicating to them as a user. <laughs> so I should be rewarded. <laughs> if you delete all your other keyboards, you're rewarded by replacing the world icon with a microphone. <laughs> I, that's probably not even possible, but they, they should have asked me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think my only complaint is with it is that it's a tad bit slow. Um, occasionally when going into apps, I you know I, I hit the keyboard and it just takes a little bit longer for it to pop up um, than the standard iOS keyboard, which makes sense. That's how all all non-native keyboards are. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I've been using it so much, it is something that I'm just kind of like, all right, let's do it. Come on. One other thing I do want to add is that when it came out that emojis were built into this keyboard. I was really excited about that. I was also a little nervous because before I installed it, I was like, okay, but are they real Apple emojis or are they Google's weird emojis? Because <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are shit. If, yeah, if you use Gchat, Google has like these oh. weird ass emojis that I don't like. And so I was nervous that it was going to... It's like a Kmart brand of emojis or something like (laughs) that. It looks like the Diglett Pokemon. It's like when you tell your grandma that you want a movie and she gets you like the slightly weird grocery store version of the movie. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's like, I didn't get you Cocoa Pebbles, but I got you these chocolate rocks. (laughs) Yeah. No. So, but rest assured, they are like the Apple emojis that we're all comfortable with. So, um, yeah, those are the ones that you get to use. Um, I did just want to throw out real quick that if people are hesitant to use this app, but they do want a gift keyboard that they really like, um, my personal favorite is PopKey. Um, I I try every new one that comes out and PopKey has remained like the best for me. So if that's something that you're excited about trying, but you don't want to give up the iOS keyboard, that's one I would recommend. Fantastic. Uh, as we were speaking, I already downloaded that app for my phone, so I'm, oh, I am good, ready to up friend. my GIF game. My emoji game is already pretty solid, but, you know. 
Get ready to gift, Brent. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, what I am feeling this week is a new play by uh, playwright Tracy Letts. It's a play called Mary Page Marlowe. It just debuted a couple of months ago in Chicago. Uh, Tracy Letts is, he's an actor, he's a playwright, he's done the screen adaptations of a few of his plays. He's best known for uh, probably plays like Killer Joe and more recently uh, August Osage County. Uh, August Osage County won him the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 2008, and it was recently uh, adapted into a film that starred Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. Uh, but Mary Page Marlowe debuted this uh, this spring, actually, at the Steppenwolf Theater. Uh, it's one of the kind of big, well-known um, theaters in Chicago. The reason I love it is because they have this offer called the red card. Uh, and the way it was described to me by the person I was talking to is when you're in college, you get all these great, you know, college student discounts. And then you graduate and you're like a 20 something and you still don't have any money, but you no longer get student discounts legally. So they have a card <laughs> that is specifically designed to give cheap tickets to 20 somethings. It's you're eligible up until the day you turn 30. So that was how I kind of got introduced to the Steppenwolf, but they they do fantastic plays and productions. Um, so Mary Page Marlowe is essentially the story of the life of a woman, Mary Page, uh, and it's told in a pretty unique way. It's told kind of just in little snapshot scenes that hop all around um, the timeline of her life. So you've got a scene where she's in her 30s, and then you'll jump back and have a, teen, a scene where she's 16, and then you'll jump forward and she'll be 70. Um, and they use seven different actresses to portray her across the course of the film. Um, and these actresses never really interact with each other because it's all very grounded in reality. Um, but so you get all these different kind of snapshots of her life. Uh, the cast for this play was really fantastic. Um, one of the, one of the Mary Pages was played by Carrie Coon, who I know has a major role in The Leftovers. I really loved her in Gone Girl. They're married, uh, right? Yes, uh, Tracy Letts and Carrie Coon, yeah, uh, got married, I think, within yeah. the last few years. Uh, this production, who was she in Gone Girl? She was, she was the yeah, sister. Yeah, Ben Affleck's okay, sister. She yeah. was one of my favorite characters in that film. Um, yeah, absolutely. And this film, or this production also included Blair Brown, who's been on a few episodes of Orange is the New Black, which is a show I still have not taken in. This play covers a lot of different territory, you know, kind of right on the surface. It deals with questions of femininity and what it means to be a woman and even what it means to be a woman in kind of the different decades of U.S. history. Uh, it deals with questions about the progression of time and the irreversibility of our lives. Um, as you're seeing her kind of look back on past experiences, you realize like there's no way she can change what happens. And the staging of this play had a really unique um, feature where often as the scenes were changing, as you were kind of moving through time, they would have some of the different actresses just kind of lurking um, slightly off stage or slightly behind the scenery to where you could kind of barely see them. And so they were almost like these these sort of specters constantly haunting everything that was happening. She was constantly aware of um, her kind of past selves. Um, it also kind of deals with questions about family and family cycles and family patterns. Uh, there are a few scenes between Mary Page and her two children that parallel really nicely with scenes between Mary Page and her own parents, as especially as it relates to divorce in both of those circumstances. Uh, but I would say kind of what the play, overall what the play seems most interested in is really examining how we define ourselves and our sense of self, uh, especially in the context of close relationships with others. So by chronicling Mary Page's life entirely through her, her interactions with other people, we see how she is defined almost entirely by those relationships. She's defined almost entirely by what she represents or what she means to other people who have been significant to her. Uh, and we also see how even though there are these common threads of personality and experience across the course of her life, uh, she does really kind of exist as different people to the different people in her life. And, you know, this technique of having seven different actresses uh, really draws out this idea that each of us exists as, as a collection of different people um, defined by our relationships with others. So unfortunately, Mary Page Marlowe is nearing the end of its run at the Steppenwolf. They recently extended it into June um, because it's been so popular. I mean, we went a few, a few months into its run and the theater was still completely packed. Um, it's been getting really rave reviews. Um, and so I would imagine after Chicago, it'll probably play other places. So if you get a chance at all to see this play, I would highly recommend it. Um, have you all interacted with any of Tracy Lett's other work? Only August Osage County as the film. Um, I would love to see a production of it because I think that film was so remarkable and the writing was the most remarkable part of it. But um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that film and would love to see more work from 
yeah, from Tracy Letts. And folks I know in Chicago who saw the play or tend to be to really prefer the play to the film. We I've heard that there was a radio production um, that exists somewhere that's the full film, the full play, which I think is also significantly longer than the film. Uh, and a lot of us have been kind of trying to track it down, but we haven't had any success so far. There's a comedian that I love who went and saw August Osage County as a play, and he said it was just the most spectacular performance of any of any kind he had ever seen, that it was, he was really blown away by it. Yeah, Brent, your description of this play is reminding me of the immense appreciation I have for theater in general and how much more potent that can really be than other media. I mean, maybe more is in the right way, but it's so differently potent than other uh, forms of art and especially that story being talked about and how we're different people over the course of our lives and how that's influenced by who we're around. That is something I'm so interested in exploring. And I wish I lived in Chicago so I could see that. That sounds like an incredible play. We might need to make a road trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. Uh, Man, sounds like a good week for all of us taking in pop culture. So now what we want to do is we want to shift into kind of our big focus for this week's episode, uh, talking about the experience of pop culture. You know, obviously the experience of pop culture is always going to be pretty intensely subjective and personal uh, because we're all going to bring our own memories and personality and biases and opinions anytime we take something in. Uh, but today we want to talk uh, kind of on a really small, precise scale um, about the most subjective kind of taking in pop culture. Uh, we know that some of the movies or concerts or TV episodes that mean the most to us often have as much to do with the specific memory of taking them in as they do with the quality of the actual work of art. And that's why we can often find ourselves passionately defending the significance of certain films or albums, even as we can acknowledge, you know, this thing isn't actually very good. <laughs> I'm not going to try and defend it as a piece, as a piece <laughs> of literature. Uh, I just know that it's, it's intensely important to me. So today we want to move kind of in the opposite direction uh, and ask the question, what immediate circumstances or conditions have the potential to ruin your experience of pop culture? Uh, Lawson, I think you have a good story. Why don't you kick this off? Yeah, so Sandra and I actually get to <laughs> tag team this one. Yeah, so Lawson and I went to go see Furious 7 together, and for as a little backstory, I am really, really into the Fast and the Furious franchise, and Lawson... like I, I had seen, like, Fast and Furious... One and then I'd seen Two Fast, Two Furious, and Three Fast, Three Furious, but I'd not seen anything after that. And the newer ones are like the best ones. So I was really excited for Fur- Furious Seven, and I brought Lawson along with me to just like join me in that glee. <laughs> um, and we had a great time throughout most of the movie because the movie is awesome. But we were sitting in the same row was this like, and I feel bad because it was obviously a single mom trying to have a night out, but she has all of her kids with her, and her kids are just going crazy. I don't think it was a single mom. I think it was a whole family. Was wasn't it? Wasn't it? With I don't like remember exactly. Ants and everybody, like, but yeah, they brought a I ton mean, of kids. This gaggle of children. To what is a very R-rated movie. Um, I believe. I think that was PG thirteen, but it was oh. hyper violent. Like it there was, was so a lot violent. of violence and but stuff in it. Regardless, the kids were running around talking throughout the whole film, but the big moment during one of the final scenes of the movie when one character is badly injured and is like professing their love to another character, like as emotional as the Fast and the Furious films can get, (laughs) (laughs) one of the children starts playing a video on a phone with the volume up. Not not a phone, not even a phone going off, or not a kid just, like, talking, playing a YouTube video on a cell phone. And this child was way too young to figure that out on their own. Yeah. This phone oh, was no. given as a distraction to the kid in their lap. Like, super bright, brightness all the way up, volume all the way up. I was floored. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. When it comes to, like, bad behavior in movie theaters... I personally will never say anything to that person. The The most I'll ever do is give a dirty look because I'm way too afraid I'm all about of that dirty look. violence <laughs> in movie theaters just erupting from confrontation because <laughs> I've heard of too many people getting stabbed. So I don't say anything to people, but a lot of dirty looks were given. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could not. I could not believe that. And I that to me is the biggest 
it, can we put together a Kickstarter for like childcare at theaters? Y'all have a theater? Because... Y'all have one of these like twenty one and over theaters in Nashville? No. No, we have no Alamo Draft House. There's not like it's it, it, there should be childcare at theaters because people are not paying to like go pay for a movie ticket and pay for a babysitter. Like as, so many people, I feel like want to go and see these movies and I don't want them to have an economic barrier to that. Like I get it. You can't afford, you know, 20 bucks to have your kids, like your five kids. There were like, I want to say there were 10 kids, but that's just because of how upset I was. (laughs) There were were probably like five. Yeah. There were like five kids. It was a Mormon family. Right. It was just like, yeah, it was unbelievable. So like, I know they were in a tough spot, but it like, it ruined that whole scene. And before it, just beyond anything, it felt beyond the pale of anything that, is acceptable movie theater. No, no, that it was truly horrendous. Speaking to kids in theaters, usually I'm pretty understanding about kids in theaters. Like if a kid, if a baby starts crying or something, you know, I, I can understand that it's tough. Um, but one thing that does make me really uncomfortable and that can ruin an experience for me is when children, when there are children around me in a theater in a movie that I am very uncomfortable watching in front of children so like very inappropriate movies for for small kids that makes me that ruins my viewing experience of that movie i went to go see spy the melissa mccarthy movie which is that's a hard r that is a hard hard r that's a hard r and literally sitting right next to me was a boy who was probably nine or ten years old and so that made me pretty uncomfortable, yeah. especially because, yeah. spoiler alert for Spy, <laughs> there is a fully erect penis shown on the screen for, like, a good amount of time. And so when that happened, the woman who was with that boy, like, freaked out and, like, covered his eyes. And it's like, lady, <laughs> you shouldn't be bringing your boy to R-rated <laughs> Melissa McCarthy movies. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh, kids... I'm sympathetic to kids in theaters, but sometimes you just have to have better judgment. Lucas, have you ever been to one of these 21 and over theaters? It's pretty great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You, you, you feel like royalty the whole time. And uh, I, I would love to go back to one of those things. It's pretty good. I love the idea, but I got student loans. And so I'm like, all right, you know what? Bring on the YouTube videos. (laughs) Give me those $5 tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for the for the most part, I would I, I I don't mind going to a to a regular showing. Um, for for me, the biggest thing in in a theater is where you're seated. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, that that is as long as I can get there early enough to get a good seat. That's then you can you can you can have a kid sitting next to me, and I won't care. So Lucas, <laughs> if the theater is not there's not many people in the theater, it's completely empty, and you get to pick whatever seat you want. What Where's your favorite spot in the theater to sit? My favorite spot is the middle of the middle. So halfway up and then the very middle seat. And I get I, where I get super picky is finding what is the actual middle seat. <laughs> um, like that's dead center in the screen. I And, and what, what pisses me off so much is when a theater splits the difference and you have an armrest that's actually in the middle of the screen and two <laughs> seats and two seats that are not dead center. They're like one. And Lucas just there. plops right up on that armrest. And so if, the, if, if the theater is super empty and that armrest goes up, I'm taking both of those seats. <laughs> like um, the epitome of man spreading. Brent, do you yeah, have a particular yeah. seat preference? Uh, no, I'm kind of like Lucas. I like to be towards the back. There's been only one time when I had to, I was forced to sit in the front of the theater and it actually ended up paying off. And that was when I went to see James Cameron's, uh, Avatar, um, which I called James Cameron's Avatar because for me, the real Avatar will always be Avatar, the last airbender. Um, but I went to see, went to see Avatar, not the film, the cartoon. Um, went to see Avatar <laughs> and the Night Shyamalan oh, classic. <laughs> I, I forgot the film was a thing. <laughs> oh, it is. It was called The Last Airbender. That's right. Uh, so, but yeah, so for Avatar, we were right towards the front. That movie was so immersive. I saw it in IMAX 3D. It completely, it more than filled my field of vision. But because that film was so immersive, it really like sitting that close. Um, it really felt like I was living in the universe of that film. That everywhere I looked, I was seeing. Uh, what's the planet called? Pandora. Um, and yeah, I think it's called Spotify. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> otherwise, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, I don't have real strong preferences. Yeah. Typically, I like to sit 
slightly off center. So like what? Yeah, just slightly. You're an animal. Yeah. So so I like to like find what's like maybe like one row or two rows above the center of the theater and then maybe like three or four seats left or right of the center of the theater. What is the no. genesis of this preference? It's it's just a preference. Is it does it contribute to having a, like a slightly slanted perspective on the film? <laughs> <laughs> It is funny, though, because I do have this preference. And again, this is only when it's an easy thing to choose. If it's a crowded theater, I'm not going to be that as picky. But when we have like a mostly empty theater, it's really funny when I'm bringing a date to the movies for the first time. And he has to be like, he has to watch me like map out like, okay, this is where we should be sitting. That's the, that's ridiculous. So I want to take things in a bit of a different direction. Um, for me, one of the one of the factors that can really ruin my experience of any kind of pop culture is what I would call like an imbalance of reverence or respect among the people who go to see it. And so if I go with people who yes. have dramatically different takes on a piece of pop culture, that's a lot of fun. Like it's a it's fun if you go and some people hate it and some people love it and you can kind of argue it out and debate it out and figure out why you experience it so differently. But for me, it's always really uncomfortable to the extent that it distracts me away from the film. If it feels like there are some people in the group who really care about this thing, who it's really important to them, whether it's good or not, it really matters to them. And there are other people in the group for whom uh, this just doesn't matter at all. And this feels really insignificant and kind of fleeting. Um, and it's really uncomfortable whether you're on, whether I'm on either, if I'm in either camp. And so if I'm taking people to go see a movie and I've been like waiting for this movie for years and I have all these expectations for it and all these hopes and I can just tell that everybody else in the room uh, doesn't really care. This is just something that kind of fell into their lap that just happened. I'll be really, I'll just feel really like kind of resentful the whole film. And on the other hand, I, if, if I'm going to see, if I'm like going to a concert or going to whatever it is with people who it's clear that this really matters to them and I just don't have any stakes in it, that's also really uncomfortable because it kind of feels like you want to conjure up feelings that you don't actually feel or you want to like, you want to buy in and see it as, as important as it is to them, but you can't just, you just can't make those feelings up. So I will, that's probably ruins pop culture more than anything else for me is when it seems like uh, different people in the room are not taking it in with the same amount of kind of reverence or the stakes are not as high for everybody. I totally. That makes me think of uh, there's this art house theater in town in Nashville called the Bell Court. It's under construction right now because they're putting in more screens, which I'm stoked about. But back when it was open, I went to go see uh, To the Wonder, uh, Terrence Malick film there. And it's... It's an art house theater. Like Terrence Malick is very light on dialogue, especially in that movie. That movie is very slow, and it's just kind of this exploration of this like Oklahoma, Texas uh, landscape throughout all the scenery, and it's you know what you're getting when you're get going to a Terrence Malick movie. Like it's gonna be Terrence Malicky. Like you're not the guy in front of us did not. I think he was expecting like a police thriller i don't know what his deal was but like he was there and he was a, an older guy i don't know if he was uh there on a date or there with his wife or what it was but he kept leaning over to her and just like saying things because he was so uncomfortable with silence like they would be walking in the in the on the beach and he would lean over to her and be like uh, sandals he's <laughs> like what it was it was unreal and like there is one scene where uh oh i forget his name uh what's the guy from uh, no country for old men the villain javier bardem. thank you uh javier bardem plays a priest in that movie and so at one point he's at a prison um like praying with this inmate and uh there's a, pol a beautifully uh framed shot of uh, the prisoner, and you can see the gun on the police's or on the policeman's belt, and this guy leans over to his wife and he's like, "He's gonna take the gun. He's gonna take the gun." And you're like, <laughs> you're an hour and a half into this movie and nothing has happened. Like you should know that nothing's gonna happen. And I, I love Terrence Malick so much. I'm so interested in the sometimes nonlinear explorations of ideas that he does, and so I was really excited to to be there and I had kind of a reverence for that art and whenever somebody was in there just like expecting a popcorn flick it 
yeah, it completely ruined it. I'm I'm with you, Brent. Lawson, I thought you were about to call me out because I couldn't remember if we saw To the Wonder together or not, and I straight up fell asleep in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started talking, I was like, he's going to call oh, me no. out on this spot. <laughs> Put you on blast. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, I would much rather someone fall asleep than, like, talk and ruin my experience. (laughs) But, Brent, to that same point, I had an experience where, um, so Lawson's wife, Lindsay, and I are both, like we've mentioned before last week, big Keeping Up with the Kardashian fans. And one week, we decided to watch together this incredibly emotional episode. It was one of the Caitlyn Jenner episodes where Caitlyn was, where the family was talking about their first experiences with Caitlyn Jenner. So it's like a, like a special episode that we were very into. And that week we had a house guest at our house who joined us in watching the show. And the entire time he just made rude comments about the Kardashians. And Lindsay and I were just glaring at him and like <laughs> giving him the cold shoulder because he was speaking ill of like our family. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it th- that's it really stinks when that happens. I think those are two completely different situations. But uh... <laughs> I don't know, Terrence Malick and Keeping Up with the Kardashians are pretty. I'm telling y'all, this was an emotional time. Basically, <laughs> oh. don't invite the internet into your house to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. With I, you. <laughs> no, that's really a very good point. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, Brent, it can make such a great difference when you have the right people with you to experience something. So like recently I had a bunch of my very close friends over who all love Beyonce to watch Lemonade together. And the discussion that we got to have after watching Lemonade, after watching it the first time, after watching it the second time or the third time, um, those were like some of the best conversations and that can really make or break an experience for me Lawson you talked about the uh the guy who came to to the wonder expecting like a police thriller uh and I think that would probably be the other major factor that can really ruin my experience of pop culture when it feels like my expectations have not been set accurately or appropriately um sure specifically to do specifically in terms of the marketing of certain pieces of pop culture and so for me the example that really stands out to this is actually another is a tracy letts well the film adaptation of august osage county which i saw with lucas and lucas's wife rebecca um in san francisco um it's yeah i mean it's really well done i think there's a there's a lot of great uh stuff about that film but uh, the trailer I most distinctly remember watching really kind of build it as like a lighthearted kind of Southern um, comedy, like uh, maybe dramedy. It seems like it was just going to have like a lot of kind of charming aw shucks moments. I didn't really know anything about Tracy Letts <clears throat> or his work. No, I got that same impression. Yeah. So it felt like it was just going to kind of be this lighthearted fun time. And I loved a lot of the cast involved. Uh, that is not what this film is at all. <laughs> this film is a really, <laughs> or this play is a really bleak <laughs> tragedy about an intensely dysfunctional family um, that is kind of run by this manipulative, narcissistic matriarch. Um, and so as the film progresses and as things get um, darker and darker, and there's there's a big dinner sequence in the middle that's just like unbearable to watch because it's so uncomfortable. And then the film ends on just this really bleak, heavy note. Um, and the whole time it was like, I couldn't really experience the film on its own terms because I was so distracted by what I thought it was going to be or what it was supposed to be. Uh, you know, it's one thing if you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, I want this to be something else. I wish this were different. And I think that can be unfair. But this was a case in which my expectations had been set for a certain kind of movie. And I ended up watching something totally different. And so I couldn't really engage it on its own terms because I was just like, where are all the jokes? Where's like the light on? <laughs> this, is, this doesn't feel like wearing a sweater. <laughs> what are they going to say? I declare. <laughs> Do you, let me throw out a kind of a subject within this. Do spoilers affect you guys one way or the other? Because spoilers really affect me in my way that I'm seeing uh, pop culture, especially, I mean, in concerts, it's not really a thing. You know all the songs going in. But in television and in plays and in movies, uh, spoilers didn't used to affect me. But now that they've come so ubiquitous, become so ubiquitous, I've really tried to, if I see something that says spoiler in an article, I won't read it. For me, it depends on the piece. Like... I tend to be not super sensitive to spoilers. Um, They usually don't ruin things for me. But there are a few pieces of pop culture that, like, 
I definitely try to remain as spoiler free as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I try to be as spoiler free as possible. I absolutely hate <laughs> hate getting spoiled for things, whether that be plays, TVs, movies, anything. I try to completely stay away from it. I not even like I don't even just avoid spoilers in most cases I'll try and avoid as much marketing as I can for films even trailers like obviously if you go see a film in theaters you can't escape them but um, there was one year where I just decided I was going to stop watching trailers and every film was just this really exciting um, unpredictable ride and so I mean I've read studies that say people tend to actually enjoy films more when they're spoiled because you kind of feel like you're in on the joke. And it's less about being surprised by the film and more about kind of seeing the, the route that it's going to take to get you um, to the ending that you know is coming. But in my case, I like to know as little about something going in as I possibly can. Yeah, that what you described, people feeling like they're in on it, that they know what they're going through and they can appreciate the craft of going through it. That's how my wife is. And I, I thought that one of my favorite shows was Mad Men. Whenever that was on, it still is one of my favorite shows. Um, but that's a show that's not very plot heavy like the thing that's really important about that show is how the characters are developing the interpersonal like reactions and relationships as they develop and the subtleties of getting to know and care about these people and the lives that they've built for themselves but i still didn't want anything to be spoiled in that and i just i felt like i always enjoy the director being able to create these emotional beats and me discover them on the terms that they wanted me to. Um, I have not quarantined myself from trailers just because it feels like such work. But if I could, if I could live in a world without trailers, or without marketing, I think that would be awesome. It makes me so sad to hear, like, not not that y'all shouldn't have that point of view, but that because it's a point of view that I hear from a lot of, like, critics and people that the avoiding trailers idea just because i feel like movie trailers are such a beautiful art form um Mm -hmm. and i appreciate them so much um i think they're i think good movie trailers that are well crafted are so incredible and important and so it makes me sad the idea that like people are avoiding them altogether because there are a lot of not good ones out there. Yeah, I should say no, I tend, I to, I tend to take in, I'll usually take in teasers because usually they will at least kind of establish the tone and feel of a film. And I think sometimes those can be like the most like deftly prepared um, versus like when you get to like trailer two and three and they're just kind of dumping all the like money shots in there. Um, right. So yeah, I will say that I agree that I like, <laughs> I'll joke that um, the trailer the final trailer for man of steel is my favorite superhero movie (laughs) even though the actual film man of steel (laughs) i really don't like and um just about any time anybody mentions mark zuckerberg or jesse eisenberg or radiohead or the year i think it was 2009 i will immediately go back and rewatch the trailer for the social network because it's just one of my favorite short films of all time yeah yeah that that trailer i remember seeing that trailer for the social network um at a midnight screening of Inception. So it was the opening night of Inception. We were there together. Yeah. And the trailer for The Social Network played for the first time ever. And I just remember my row and my group of people, like, all just, like, looking at each other afterwards, being like, holy shit, this movie's going to be so incredible. Yeah, because before that, it was like, oh, it's a Facebook movie. And that trailer was like, (laughs) we're all in. We are completely in. Yeah. 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 And that's, I completely agree that, what was it? Uh, Watchmen. The trailer for Watchmen, the teaser one um, with the Smashing Pumpkins song on it, is one of the most beautiful two and a half minute pieces of art. Yeah. Um, Movie didn't live up to it, but. So I'm also curious, guys, about um, what can like ruin or enhance a pop culture experience if you're in your own home do you have like things that you have to like have set a certain way before you watch a movie or tv or listen to an album yeah so that's that that's mine one of the one of the biggest things is and this is going to get super nerdy but um making sure your tv is calibrated correctly um if you if i i know right so if if, if you <laughs> no. have if you have any, no you're right you no, Lucas, laughing I like, because I like of how much to, i agree yeah. and i want to invite you over for you to calibrate mine because i don't know how to do it <laughs> it's so it's so frustrating but like when, when you go over to somebody's house and um every movie looks like they're watching a you know a you know thirty thousand dollars soap soap opera it just looks terrible and so like the i mean the the biggest thing is like refresh rate 
yeah, it's it's terrible. So yeah, if you can turn off the high refresh rate on on, on a TV, and I'll I'll do this if I'm at somebody's house, um, and I'll just mess with their TV. Settings. I mean, like, are you brave enough to <laughs> like, do that? Because I've even like there will be times where I'll be at a house and even like the widescreen settings on the DVD player, or Blu-ray oh, player off, and everything is stretched, no. and I'm just sitting there like clutching the chair, like, is nobody gonna say anything? Like, I can't say I will, something, but I will, nobody's gonna I will say abs- something. I'll, I'll, I will I will say something. I'll be like, hey, you know, is it all right if I... <laughs> yeah, if I'm I, so uh, non-confrontational. I'll do the yeah, same I, thing. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, will, I will not sit through a movie or anything that is it is on a terrible TV. But yeah, I mean, like, if you, like, turn, turning off, like, image enhancement stuff, like the vivid color, the, um, what is it, like, brilliance enhancers that are on, like, TVs are, 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 you know, absolutely what's needed most of the time. Um, and a lot of times, actually... TVs aren't showing you their full quality. So if you like buy a, a like a 1080p TV, um, a lot of times out of the box, the TV is not showing you the full 1920 by 1080 pixels. Um, sometimes they have like, I forget what the settings are called, like screen fit or like overscan or right. like size one and two and things like that, um, that are just, that'll just like fix that and actually show you the full quality of the TV, which I think is insane that, out of the box, your TV can't show you what it said it's going to show you. So yeah, those are the things that really get to me. I personally, like, for me, um, sound, I'm not a big sound person, but there are, like, environmental sounds that I have to, like, shut down. So, like, the dishwasher is a big one. <laughs> if, the dish, <laughs> if the dishwasher is running during a movie, it's going to drive me crazy. Um, as well as just, like, this is getting real personal, but in our house that I live in, we have um, squirrels in our attic. And so hearing like squirrels, like scratching at our ceiling during a movie is like <laughs> just really the biggest and worst distraction. Andrew, what if the squirrels are taking in the film with the same amount of reverence that you have, though? <laughs> I mean... If they want to talk about it afterwards, I'm not going to shut them down. <laughs> Wasn't that scene nuts? Oh, God. <laughs> Lawson, Three Fast, Three Furious was definitely your best joke. So let's just let's just stick with that. Okay. <laughs> we just scrolled right on past that. I'm so glad you picked up on it. <laughs> no, I got it. All right. All right. I'll, I'll hang up the hat. Um, I want to ask this. When y'all are at concerts in particular... Is there anything that like enhances or make those makes those experiences worse? Because I have friends that are like, yeah, I'll always make sure to bring a flask to a concert and like I'll drain it and then it's just it's the best. And I never want to drink at concerts and I hate the smell of cigarette cigarettes at concerts. And that's something you just have to put up with sometimes. But um, I know that that's a very different strokes for different folks situation. What's y'all's take on like uh, band concerts? I feel like I'm at the age to where. If there's not a seat, yeah. <laughs> if I can't sit, I'm not going. Right. I, I feel like that 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 makes me feel way older than I I should. But I'm 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 just to that point where I'm not gonna stand for a whole concert anymore. I'm just not gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. I will only stand for a whole concert if I know I can dance to all of the songs. So like, if the music is super dancey and I know that it's gonna be like an environment where like dancing is encouraged, then I can stand for the whole concert because I can like keep moving. But other than that, I need a seat. I need to sit down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. Um, yeah. We have a venue in Nashville called the Ryman that is just like the perfect concert venue. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, so I've been there twice, and it was just the perfect setting because. There, it's almost all church pews, and both concerts that I went to were very like spiritual experience experiences. I saw Sufjan Stevens and I saw Hozier, mm. and so oh, man. having like everyone sitting and just like really taking in the music in like a beautiful venue, um, really made that experience great for me. What about you, Brent? Uh, I it's really only been within it's funny, it's really only been within the last year that I've really gotten into like going to concerts and a lot of the concerts I've been going to have been smaller shows in Chicago places like bars Um, because before that I just I couldn't get too excited about live music I feel like I was um, I mean like even high school and college I was already like an old man in terms of wanting wanting to be able to sit down and wanting to know when this thing was going to be over and um, but it's really in Chicago I've gotten a lot more into going to see shows but I mean if you're going to shows and bars and that kind of place like you're probably not going to have seats 
Um, and sometimes it's going to be like sort of empty rooms. Sometimes it's going to be super crowded and you're going to be surrounded by people. Um, so my standards are pretty low in, or my expectations are pretty low in terms of I'm kind of game for whatever. As long as the act that I'm going to see is something that I'm interested enough in, um, I can usually kind of lose myself enough in the music that I don't care too much about the scenery. Word. Man, a good conversation. Um, this is really helpful in case we all ever take in pop culture together to know exactly what we need to avoid, what conditions to avoid. <laughs> this will be super helpful. Awesome. And that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. So thank you so much for tuning in. Before we go, we want to uh, let you know where you can find us online. So, Lucas, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm on the internet at Lucas and Stuff. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. Lawson Soward. Yeah, feel free to uh, send a note and say hi to me at Twitter. I'm at Lawson West. It's laws in the practice. Sun is in moon and West is in Kanye. What about you, Sandra? I'm Sandra Amstutz. You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. But especially go follow me on Snapchat. And my name is Brent Bailey. You can find me just about anywhere online uh, under the handle B-R-P-A-B-A. I need to change my thing because it's yeah, not Sun is in Moon. Say, it's not Sun is in Moon. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I, was, okay. I, I like I like started to write it. My sun is in like, daughter. Oh, yeah. Think about what? that. I was like Lawson. Have I been spelling your name wrong this entire time? My it's name's Lawson. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Trying too hard to be clever. Uh, I should. I I know that my head is hung on that three fast three furious. I need to just be comfortable with myself. And also, don't forget to follow us, um, our podcast Twitter account, at FeelingItPod. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes now. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. All right. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. <laughs>